ministry. I uh, um, was reading yesterday this new movie out uh, called Unplanned. I don't know if any of you have seen it. Um, it's having a powerful impact on people's lives. But what was really interesting as I was reading it, I was reading about the actress in it. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's a story about a, a woman who was very supportive uh, of Planned Parenthood and through her experiences of unfortunately observing abortions, um, she realized uh, the shame and the destruction of human life. And the movie shares her turnaround. I haven't seen it yet. Um, but that's the quick overview of it. Um, but I, I read in this article a quote from the, the lead actress. And she said, we knew going into it, and these are her words, that there would be spiritual warfare taking place. And we knew we had to pray against it. I don't know how many movies you see where you see the lead, lead person say something like that. Um, but that's been our subject uh, these last couple of months. Sarah alluded to spiritual warfare. Kevin alluded to it um, in the desert. We have an enemy. And uh, the whole premise of our study is that the physical, visible realm is greatly affected by the spiritual, invisible realm that the Bible calls heavenly places. You see, what happens in the spiritual realm, as we've talked about, controls and influences what happens in the visible realm? A war rages. A war we don't see. We certainly see the brokenness that the war has caused. Last couple of weeks, we've talked about our adversary, Satan. And last week, our adversary is the demonic realm. And you could have left last week going, it's hard enough to win the battle, but man, I'm overwhelmed because the amount of adversaries around me. No matter where I go, there's this demonic realm just hammering me and hammering me. You get good news today. You also have assistance in the battle. God hasn't left you alone. There's an army around you that aids you and I in the spiritual warfare. You might know them as angels. Angels. They're an invisible army of spiritual beings with moral judgment, high intelligence, and they're clearly much more significant than cuddly, cute, decorative creatures. They're fierce creatures. As a matter of fact, the Bible paints that picture. And angels from the Bible, we're told, there's a few things about them. One is they're purposefully created. They're created for a purpose. Colossians 1, 16. I'm going to be bouncing, quoting some of these, so you might want to circle and, and go back and read them over. I hope you will. Uh, time won't allow us to... Uh, exhaust every single one of them. But Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. The angelic realm was purposely created. They were created for him. And that's important. We understand it. Now, God's pretty concerned we understand that they were created for him because in Colossians 2.8, he warns the church and says, don't be disqualified because some have worshipped angels. In other words, they, they missed the whole point that angels were created for God, not to be a worship in and of themselves. And so angels are created for God's purposes. Now, it's never said of an angel that they were created in God's image. That's only said of you and me. I mean, that, that's phenomenal thought. We've been created in the image of God. Powerful. But angels remind us there is an unseen world, and they do have a purpose. We also know, just like demons, that angels are spirit beings. Hebrews 1.14 says, And are the angels not all ministering spirits 
They're invisible beings. Now, even though that's true, they're invisible, angels can become visible to carry out specific, sovereignly directed supernatural activity on earth. Hebrews 13.2 is an incredibly interesting verse. Um, the author of Hebrews encourages us here. He says, hey, show, show hospitality to all people because you may have entertained an angel. Now let that sink in. I look back at your life and think, as a Christian, you very well could have, probably have, entertained an angel. That's pretty interesting thought. And maybe in heaven we'll get to look back and see all those times. Um, but sometimes God wants to accomplish a specific work. He'll direct one of his angels to become visible. But they probably won't be recognized as an angel. Angels are also personal beings. They exhibit three qualities, intellect, emotions, and will. Let me give you an example. In 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. So angels show an intellect and certainly a curiosity into redemption. And so angels are intensely curious to understand human redemption. There's that intellect. We also know from Luke 15.10 that the angelic realm observes and when a sinner comes to repentance, party breaks out. So angels are pretty festive. I mean, they love to see salvation. There's rejoicing in heaven. That word rejoicing means joy, great joy in heaven. Among the angels, when they see a sinner repent. So that's a pretty cool thought. So we know angels like to celebrate redemption. And that excitement is related to spiritual warfare because it's a battle for human souls. The angelic realm rejoices when they see one saved from the enemy's work. We also know, aside from intellect and emotion, they have will. We know in 2 Peter 2.4, all angels had a choice. Because it said God did not spare angels when they sinned. Through his will, Lucifer became the devil. Many chose to follow in his rebellion. But there is a myriads upon myriads of angels who continue to worship God. Which brings us to another point. Angels are innumerable. Hebrews 12.22 says, when we come into God's presence, we're joined by myriads innumerable amount of angels. And these angels are around the throne. Revelation 5.11 tells us myriads upon myriads, thousands upon thousands, crying out in worship. Daniel 7.10, one of Daniel's visions, saw God take his seat on the throne. In attending God, we're told in uh, Daniel 7.10, were thousands upon thousands, myriads upon myriads. You see, the vastness of the description suggest millions of people, of millions of angels. Now, one of the questions I've been asked over the years is, do angels procreate? Or there are ever, like, do angels produce little angels that grow into big angels? And you might giggle, but it's an interesting thought. But Mark 12, 25, I, I think is clearly a confident scripture. It tells us angels don't procreate, procreate or die. And so whatever number was created, there's still that number. So this tells us when it comes to spiritual warfare, the actions and tents 
It involves untold millions in the battle in a realm we don't see. We know they're glorious beings. Every appearance in the Bible, angels glorious to behold, bright light followed them. In Acts 12, 7, an angel appeared in Peter's cell and it says light showed up. Luke 2, 8 and 9. We unfortunately only read this passage at times during Christmas. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Tell us this. Shepherds are out in the field. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. And so light showed up when angels showed up. They were glorious beings. We also know they're powerful beings. Psalm 103.20 tells us that angels are mighty in strength. They execute the program of God. They're like God's staff members. And they have power. Daniel 6.22 tells us some angels came and they shut the mouths of the lions in the den. And so when it comes to spiritual warfare, the spiritual battle, we have assistance in this battle with us. And so to see and perceive what the spiritual war is really like, what's really going on, we need to understand God's given you assistance. They're called angels. What specifically is the ministry of angels? What does Scripture specifically say about the role that angels play? These are incredibly significant. One is they're worshipers. They're a worship team second to none. They're worshipers. Revelation 5, 11 through 14, one such example. Revelation 5, 11 through 14, we read this. Then I looked, John says, and I heard around the throne the living creatures, the elders, and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that's in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. I mean, that's, that's what the angelic realm is doing. They're worshiping. And so, interesting thought. When we come in the presence of God, when we come corporately together to worship, we're joining in what the angels are already doing for all of eternity. That's a neat thought. Angels are worship, worshiping 24-7. There's never a nanosecond where angels are not worshiping God. And whenever you, whether it's privately or corporately, come, we join the angelic realm because that's their ministry is worship. Matter of fact, so serious are they about this that Revelation 19, 9, and 10 and Revelation 22, 8, and 9 shows us the angels are quick to refuse worship. Matter of fact, they, in a sense, almost rebuke John when John bows down before them because they understand that their ministry primarily is one of worship. Another example, this is in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 7 through 8. Hebrews, you could basically say the title is The Supremacy of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And in chapter 1, Verse 7, we read this. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, God says, your throne, O God, is forever 
and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You see, no angel ever had a throne. So don't go looking for angels. Go looking for Jesus. Because remember, the very essence of the battle, the battle line that Satan tried to cross is that he wanted glory. He wanted to deflect the glory from God. And the angels refused to do that. They understand their role in their ministry. They're worshipers. They're also messengers. Angel means messenger. It's God's divine messenger system. Now, we have a fairly long driveway, and at times a, a post office guy needs to deliver a box. And he needs to get that which was mailed to us, whether it be a package or a message, and get it to us. And this postal guy has got to come down our driveway in which we, they're often greeting the car as a St. Bernard, a little ankle biter. Right, Dave? And then a mid-sized one that just kind of keeps its distance. Cindy like a couple geese. So this, this messenger is coming down our driveway in great peril, I'm sure in his mind, trying to get to us the message, the right message to the right person. That's his delivery service. That's what angels do to get the right message to the right person in the midst of great peril. That's the angelic realm. They're messengers. They're messengers of God's word. Maybe you didn't realize this, but they were messengers of the law. They brought, delivered, if you could say. Acts 7.53, Stephen said, nation of Israel received the law as ordained by angels. Galatians 3.19 said the law was put in place through angels by mediators or by intermediary. Hebrews 2.2 says the law was spoken through angels. You see, they played a part in the delivery of God's law to Moses. When Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the Holy Spirit was the guide. When Moses wrote, angels were involved in the delivery of it because they're messengers. Think about the Christmas story. From beginning to end, the angelic messengers were key to unfolding of God's plan in coming to this world. Now, the caution is don't seek enlightenment from angels. You don't need to do that because we have God's word. But one of their roles was becoming a messenger, was being a messenger. So we don't need new revelation. But angels are messengers. God uses angels for his kingdom purposes. If it's not related to his kingdom, God's not too concerned about someone being touched by an angel. They're part of his delivery system. When angels are involved, they're ministering as messengers of God. So they're messengers of God's word. They're also messengers of God's protection. 2 Kings 6. I want to circle. What a powerful passage. It tells us about a prophet named Elisha who came on the heels of Elijah. God had supernaturally protected him by an angelic army. And we read the story in 2 Kings 6. Elisha had been advising the king of Israel concerning the movements of the king of Israel. Elisha would come to the king of Israel and say, hey, here's what this guy's doing over here. King Israel would adjust his plan by this divine revelation that came to him by Elisha. King of Aram gets a load of this and say, hey, we got to do something with this guy. He's telling on us. You know, tattletale. He's telling the king of Israel what we're doing. we got to get rid of him because we're never going to win the battle as long as this guy's in the way. And so the story tells us that Elisha and his servant are in this particular place, in Dothan, which is where the army of King Aram sends this army. 
and they surround him. And the servant looks and says, we're toast. I'm paraphrasing. We're in real trouble because there are far more around us than there's just us. And Elisha saw into the spiritual realm. He says, you're mistaken because there's far more around us than there are against us. As he looked and saw angels sitting on chariots of fire, and Elisha's servant says, you got to be drinking because there's just me, you, and this donkey. We ain't going to win this war. Elisha says, oh, 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 yeah. There's an angelic army sent. Protection. They're messengers of God's protection. If we want to see the spiritual battle as it really is, don't forget, there's an angelic army. Acts 5.19 tells us an angel delivers Peter from prison. Acts 12, go there because this is, this is great. also tells you how to get up your kids in the morning. I mean, talk about practicality. Acts 12, 5 through 11. I mean, the word's loaded. Follow along here. Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the, Lord, before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel Lord stood next to him, a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. There you go. God sent an angel to get that kid up. And so he, he basically rouses him up. Get up, Peter. Quickly, and your chains fell off his hand. The angel said to him, dress yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. I mean, if you were in those, wouldn't you wake up thinking, this is quite a dream. And, and so Peter, somewhere along the line, says, man, is this real? I'm just going to keep walking because it's, it seems like it's working. And, uh, and so kind of sometimes we get familiar with the story or maybe familiar, we're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. But put yourself in Peter's shoes. Uh, this is a pretty amazing thing because an angel was sent by God and he was a messenger of God's protection. Peter, God's going to protect you. Follow me. We're, we're out of here. And so he goes out. So God sends angels for our protection. Psalm 91, 11 through 12 has raised a question I've been asked. And so we're trying to address the questions that may surface as best as we can. Psalm 91, 11 through 12. For God will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Some say God gives guardian angels. In other words, God gives a person an angel that will guard them. Others would say it's more like a zone. Zone versus man to man. A zone is general coverage of an area or general coverage. A man to man is real specific. Scripture doesn't really slant either way. I mean, Matthew, there's a passage in Matthew um, 18.10, um, which potentially you could kind of lean towards specific angels, but maybe they're not the same angel. We don't necessarily know. Um, and so that doesn't answer the question, but Scripture doesn't really give as clear an answer maybe as some people would like. We do know that angels are messengers of God's protection. That we know. We also know they're messengers of God's provision. As Kevin shared, angels ministered to Jesus after his temptation in the wilderness. 1 Kings 19, 5-8, the angels ministered to Elijah. So whatever your situation today, don't stop praying. 
God might be ready to send an angel with your provision. God's at work using his angels as messengers of his provision. Even this very moment, God uses angels to provide. Also, angels are messengers of God's judgment. Revelation 15.1. We read in the discussion John have of the last times, near the, the carrying out of the plagues and the trumpet judgments, John says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, even angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. Now there's, that'll throw this whole idea of cutesy angels out the window. I mean, they're messengers of God's judgment. They're fierce in that sense. They're serious about what they're doing. There's angelic involvement in carrying out judgments. And so my hope in seeing the ministry of angels, you'll begin to see a connection between the visible and invisible world that you and I can recognize and praise God for his intervention in our life. What about the orientation of angels? How, how do they operate? Well, they have an orientation towards authority. The biblical nature of angels, they're awesome, they're fierce, they're blazing creatures who inspire fear and trembling. Think about when angels showed up, what they often said right away. Fear not. Why? Because people were afraid when they saw them. I mean, there was something fierce about them. And they had to say, fear not. But there's some things about angels we need to understand. They're established along God-ordained lines of authority. You can't force, coerce angels to do anything. They obey their head. God. Ephesians 6.12, Revelation 12.7, Jude 9, all point to the fact that angels are, have some sense of organization by authority. We're told about Michael, an archangel. He showed respect for the authority of God. He said to Satan, I'm not going to rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. Deal with that one. In other words, I'm, I'm going towards a higher authority. I submit to a higher authority, the Lord. Angels are organized by authority in that sense. Angels are loyal to authority. Angels don't vacillate between two kingdoms. After the rebellion of Satan, there's been no more defections on either side of the angelic rebellion. Angels are loyal, and it's important to them. They're loyal to the authority of God. And so this idea of spiritual warfare is significant because if you and I are going to know victory we need to walk in obedience to the authority of God. Because angels understand the importance of authority. Angels are demons' counterpart. Angel or demons aren't God's counterpart. God has no counterpart. Angels understand that God's in a class all by himself. And so they submit to that authority. So again, if you are going to defeat the enemy in your daily life, you and I need to follow the angel's example and live under God's authority. You'll never get angelic help if you don't submit to God. Now, there's a passage in James 4, 7, and a lot of times we quote it. It's, we would say, hey, resist the devil. But there's a part before that that you can't do the second part if you don't do the first part, and the first part is submit to God. Then you can resist, resist the devil. And the first part is all about authority, living under God's authority. Angels teach us the importance of living under God's authority in regard to spiritual warfare. So what are applications for this battle? How does this apply? I mean, how can 
angels teach us. Well, one, this whole teaching on angels, which admittedly we've gone over pretty quick. Um, We can be assured that God sent us assistance for the battle. You might not see them, but they're there. And they're fighting on our behalf as messengers, as, as, as messengers of God's protection. Acts 12, again, Peter was in prison. You know what the church did? church prayed. God sent an angel and got him out. And so God releasing his angelic assistance oftentimes can be a response to our prayer. We would pray for something. We don't know how God's going to pull it off. And God says, you know, in this situation, come here, you guys. Go get them. (laughs) And, And so I'm sure it's a little bit more serious conversation than that, but you get the idea. When we pray, God has at his disposal assistance They assist us in the battle. And so be assured of that. Also, God's assistants have a singular focus. They minister in various ways for sure. But they serve as an example because their singular focus is Christ. So don't seek angels. Seek God. Now, we're not surprised because we're told in Corinthians that Satan masquerades himself as an angel of light. Why? People seem to like angels. And, and Satan comes to masquerade himself. So, but don't seek angels. Seek Jesus and you're going to be fine. Set your hope, set your eyes clearly upon Christ. And the third application, angelic assistance is activated when God's people are living in obedience to God. Angelic assistance is activated when God's people live under his authority. Don't ever forget that. If you're living in disobedience, don't expect a whole lot of angelic assistance. I mean, if you're not going to live under God's authority, don't expect God to bless you or to step in and ignore your disobedience. It's not how God rolls. It's not the economy of his kingdom, how it operates. As I thought about how to end this message, I thought, well, I'm going to let an angel tell you. What would an angel tell us this morning? Well, we're going to let him close with This angel's exhortation, we find it in Revelation 22, a great key to victory. John writes early in chapter 22, he says, this angel came and showed me some phenomenal, beautiful things about what God is doing and preparing for his people. And then we get in verse 8 and 9. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of an angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, this is the angel, and here's what he says to you and I. You must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. You want to win? You want to walk in victory? Take it from the angel. Worship God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the encouragement of the scriptures. We're told that everything was written. Romans, that we could have encouragement and hope. Thank you that you have at your disposal myriads and myriads of angels. And Lord, we know that they're operating in the world. We know that they're under your divine authority and that you send them, you use them to minister, to lead, to guide, to protect. God, we thank you for them. Although we don't see them, we thank you that you use them. We praise you. And we take the angel's exhortation this morning, and we worship you. 
We honor you. We lift you up as the one true God. And thank you that in you, we stand, as we've sung, victorious. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.